There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, how's it going? Welcome back to another episode of The Standard is the Standard. I'm Jeff Hartman, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. With me as always, co-host Lance Williams. It is a Wednesday night. This is the night we will always be doing the show unless we have to make a sudden change. We both have families and stuff like that. But this is going to be our normal night for the show for the standard is a standard. And so we're excited about that. We're excited to get back into the groove. And we have a lot to talk about, Lance. Um, the Steelers tied last week. 21-21. You were not there on the post-game show with me. I'd like to know what your knee-jerk reaction was of the game. They're lucky to get out of there with a tie. I mean, that was my knee-jerk reaction and that it was a total shit show. Because, you know, in our previous episode, I said if the Steelers want to go 1-0, and they can't let the ball go. And that's how you tie or either lose to a team that that's won one game in the last two years is if you turn the ball over. And it was just a shit show. Uh, you got to play much cleaner football to win in the National Football League, regardless of who you play. So at the end of the day, they were fortunate to come out with a tie. Yes, and that no one's disagreeing with you there. I think that at the same time, and trust me, with all the articles we've run on the website this week, the underlying theme has been um, just disappointment. And I get it. You, know, you should be disappointed because tying the Browns feels like a loss. But at the same time, I don't want everyone to be naive enough to think that there weren't some positives to be gleaned from this performance. We're going to talk about those a little bit Um in my heroes in our new segment, which we're going to do here in a second called heroes and zeros. Um, I did want to talk about something Lance and this really, I guess I can bounce this off of you, but it's kind of a WTF segment. I might do it a little bit early. Everyone knows what WTF stands for. Um, it's just jogged my memory and it's going to tie in with the Browns. And here's my thing. And Lance, you might disagree with this, but here I'm going to go ahead and go off on this. So, Everyone, a lot of fans, a lot of Steeler fans um, have been Facebook, especially on the website, Twitter, you name it, have been blaming Mike Tomlin for the Steelers performance on Sunday with the 21-21 tie. I have been the I've been one. Now, number one, I'll, I will admit that I'm a Mike Tomlin supporter. I, I like him as a coach. I think he's a good coach. Does he have his flaws? Absolutely. But then so does every coach in the NFL, in my opinion. However, I've been I, I've been tough on him at times. I, I've said where there have been shortcomings and, and lack of preparedness. The way that they went at the Jacksonville playoff game last season was unacceptable. But to me, this was not a coaching thing. Uh, it, personally, I, I can't understand how you could say that this was a coaching mistake. It was not Mike Tomlin that coached Ben Roethlisberger to have five total turnovers in the game three interceptions and two fumbles it was not mike tomlin that told james connor to fumble the ball in their own in their own end that led to a touchdown uh, it was not mike tomlin's fault that the officiating crew is blind and can't see the football bounce off of nick chubb's face mask 
and negates what would have been a fumble recovery by Sean Davis. I get that a lot of people don't like Mike Tomlin, and you are entitled to your opinion, but please, please, please do me a favor, whether you're on the website right now on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, whether you're on our YouTube channel, go into the comment section and give me a legitimate reason that is black and white, no pun intended, that (laughs) (laughs) that is... Give me a legitimate football excuse as to how you can blame Mike Tomlin for this. And don't tell me they weren't prepared. How can you prove that? How can you prove that they weren't prepared? Because they turned the ball over six times. How is that unpreparedness? I'm sick and tired of it. I really am. Blame Tomlin for stuff like time management, a poor challenge, stuff like that. But don't blame him just because the team didn't perform. That's not his fault. I didn't see this as a game where they weren't prepared. I didn't see this as a game where the game plan was bad. I do think that Randy Feetner got a little too conservative in the fourth quarter. But other than that, don't blame the guy when there's no blame to be thrown his way. Stop hating. Stop throwing shade. Whatever you want to call it, I'm sick of it. Lance, you might disagree. You might think that he is to blame. I'm not in that camp. Well, I think it's just how sports fans have been trained, unfortunately, by sports media, of which we are a part. And so because of the Monday knee, you know, the Monday knee jerk reaction, that's how we fans have been trained to evaluate the game. Unfortunately, I think when you take a step back, there's a difference between execution and preparation. And a good example is Jesse James's play where the ball went through his hands and it was intercepted. The play worked. That means the play call that they called against that defense worked, which meant they were prepared. The execution was bad. He dropped the football, and it resulted in an interception. So there's a difference between being prepared and execution. You know, like you said in your example, another example is play calling. That goes to preparedness, not execution of the actual play. So there are two different things, but it's easy to water it down and boil it down just to blame the coach. I mean, that's pretty lowbrow, lowest common denominator, so on and so forth. But I think Steeler Nation has a problem with uh, Mike Tomlin largely for the fact that they just don't like the way he wins. You know, you know, in Pittsburgh, you know, being Pittsburgh Steeler fans and fans of the franchise with the most Super Bowls, you can be spoiled to the point where you wins just aren't enough. You have to win a certain way. It has to look a certain way where, you know, our fan base, you had guys, you know, after winning the fifth Super Bowl upset because they didn't dominate. I mean, that's just the nature of Steeler fans. It has to look a certain way. It just can't be a win. It has to be a dominant win. And that's where the bar is. And so that's why I think people don't ultimately like Tomlin is because he doesn't win in a fashion that they like and quote unquote, his time management. Although no one points out time management stuff when it's done correctly, only when it's not done right. right. But that's just the nature of it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that was just when to get that off my chest. Um, I, you know, it's Wednesday. That's when we're recording this. It's Wednesday. So a lot of people have already moved on from the Browns game. We're just going to spend one segment on it. I mentioned this earlier. Heroes and zeros. 
where Lance and I both pick at least one in each category. Someone that played well, that deserves the hero tag, and then someone that kind of left something to be desired that would be the zero tag. Uh, Lance, why don't you go ahead and kick the segment off first? I'm going to do heroes because you're trying to make me be positive this year (laughs) and me doing joy instead of pain. So, of course, uh, just looking at his stats here, TJ Watt is obviously the hero of the game. I believe he was named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. He was. Four he sacks. Was. Three four and a half. Three and a half. They three took and a half, half away. They took a half away. away. Three and a half sacks, 11 tackles, four for loss, three quarterback hits, and one block field goal attempt. That's a stocking stat stuffer type game. And, you know, T.J. Watt apparently resting all training camp had that hamstring firing because – uh you know, his level of pursuit, his get off, his tenacity. He doesn't quit on plays. Uh, he's really athletic, solid in coverage. He's turning out to be a very good first round draft pick. So he is the hero of the game, TJ Watt. All right. Um, I'm going to go a little bit different. I, I'm going to name a couple players that I feel deserve the hero tag. And I'm a positive guy. You know, I'm an optimist. I'm the anti Lance Williams, so to speak. So <laughs> I'm gonna give give you. Everyone knows James Conner. Okay, the stat line's obvious. He had almost 200 total yards, 135 rushing, two t- two rushing touchdowns, um, something like five receptions for 50 some yards, maybe more than that. Um, 190 some yards, I believe, total offense. Tremendous day. If he didn't fumble the football, it would have been something that movies are made of. I swear. <laughs> Disney would have been calling, asking for the rights to that. Um, But anyways, I'm going to go with some other players, too, that might not be getting a lot of talk, but I think they deserve it. And both of them are on defense. First is Sean Davis. I think Sean Davis played a tremendous game. His first game at free safety, where he played there the entire time. He had shifted over to free safety from time to time in the past, but this was his job. I thought he played well. He didn't. He had a couple really nice solo tackles where he actually wrapped up. It's basically what we always wanted to see, where Mike Mitchell would kind of throw his shoulder at people. So that was great. He did have a pass defense. He might have had two total in the game. I just liked the product that he put on the field, and I thought it was really good to see that. If maybe I granted, take it with a Tyrod Taylor grain of salt. But if he could do that again against the Chiefs, boy, I tell you what, that would really solve a lot of problems for the Steelers in the back end. So I'll say Sean Davis is one hero. And then another one, you're, everyone's going to hate on me for this, but I thought Bud Dupree had a good game. Yes, he was going against a rookie. Yes, the guy was very rough around the edges and not very, he's not Joe Thomas, in other words, but not many people are. I thought he did his job. He got pressure. He looked better from the right side than he did the left. Just like TJ Watt, I thought looked better from the left than the right. I liked what they did there. And then lastly, John Bostic. Uh, John Bostic is trying to fill those gigantic shoes left by Ryan Shazier. He had a set. Um, yeah, I thought you combined you know, the, the pressure that he puts. His run fits were good. Coverage is always going to be an issue, but I thought they those three guys. I think they deserve some press. I'll call them unheralded players, unheralded heroes. Uh, they're on my list. You might disagree, Lance, but I don't care. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. 
largely, but man, you, you're either a hero or you're not, man. An unheralded yeah, hero? What because is that? Everyone, everyone's going to say, like, if, it's, if someone just stumbles upon the podcast, you say TJ Watt. Well, no crap. He was the defensive player of the week. No one's ever knows that I'm going to say James Conner. So I'm going to give you some guys that maybe no one else is talking about. I want us to get, be unique. If they want to hear get, that stuff, they'll listen to Steelers <laughs> Nation Radio and you listen to Tunch and Craig talk about the same crap for an hour and then what they ate for lunch. So I'm just saying, I'm just thinking outside the box. That's all. So so they, they get the copper star. You know, sure, not the purple heart. Whatever the hell you want, they get some recognition <laughs> from me. They get, they get the copper star. I don't <laughs> disagree too much with uh, Sean Davis. Also, he had an interception that was negated by penalty. But, but you know, let's jump into the opposite side, the zeros. And because I said penalty, I wanted to jump into that. One of the obvious zeros in this game were the officials. <laughs> the officiating was terrible. And I'm typically not a guy that kills officials. But come on, man. I believe it was 23 accepted penalties, 12 for the Steelers and 11 for the Browns. I mean, that's ridiculous. It, it, it killed the flow of the game. First of all, it was hard watching five quarters of football to start the football season. I mean, that was just like an overdose of football for the first weekend. Then I don't think the game ended to almost two o'clock in the West because there were so many penalties. I mean, it had to go to at least 145. And I'm like, man, you know, I want to get a burger, kind of hungry. I'm waiting till the game is over to eat. <laughs> Flag, 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 absolutely terrible. But uh, obviously the biggest zero in the game was the quarterback. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was the biggest zero of the game. I mean, you can't turn it over five times. That's a guy, what, year 15, year 14, year 15? I mean, five turnovers. And he kept trying to turn over the ball. I mean, he kept trying to lock on the guys, hold the ball. He had no sense of the pass rush. He was uncomfortable in the pocket. It was so bad for Ben that late in the fourth quarter, while falling after committing five turnovers, I believe, or maybe four to that point, he's falling to the ground trying to pitch the ball to James Conner. I'm just looking at the TV like, are you kidding me? Like, like What's going on in this guy's head? It's wet. You, you have a lead. Just sit on the football. Take care of it. That was terrible. And I, I'm sure he will improve. Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback, but that was just bad. It's an absolute zero. Uh, you know, if we were grading, that's an F grade game. Yeah, I, I to go back to your officiating remark, I would give you the perfect sequence to describe the officiating of the game. So if someone didn't watch the game and they say, What was the game like? I was, here's the sequence. Steelers score a touchdown, holding on Marquise County. <laughs> Steelers next play. Steelers score a touchdown. Illegal hands to the face. Marcus Gilbert. Third play. Steelers score a touchdown. Does it actually count? Yes, it does. <laughs> three plays, three bad. touchdowns. Only one counts. <laughs> really bad. Really, really bad. Hey, those, those were bad penalties, but the ones that kill me the most, I mentioned the Sean Davis recovered fumble off the punt. That totally swung the tide of the game, but you also go back earlier in the first half, I believe, and there was one drive where the Steelers had stopped the Browns on a third long, and they, they called Javon Hargrave for defensive holding. And all yeah. he was doing was getting his arm across, doing his job to occupy another defender. He was not grabbing, was not pulling, and they called him for that. And I, I just kept saying to myself, I know there's holding on every play, 
but that doesn't mean you have to call it every play. And this, we actually ran an article today on the website um, this week prior to the Monday night games and maybe even the Sunday night games, they had already made an NFL record for penalties accepted in a week, not just week one, any week in NFL history. That was before Monday night football. And there were two games on Monday night football. So the NFL, I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. Um, I get the whole preseason throwing a lot of flags to try to get the guys to understand what they're, Hey, here's what we're calling, you know, that type of stuff. But now I don't know. But my, my zero, if I'm going to go, I'm going to, go with the kind of piggyback off of what Lance said and stretch it out to the passing attack because not only did Roethlisberger play like absolute poop, but Antonio Brown and Ben weren't on the same page. Uh, Antonio Brown was waiting for him to throw a water jug on the sideline. Excuse me. Um, Justin Hunter. um, I don't know what he's doing or why he's even on the field. Uh, It was just discombobulated. It reminded me of the 2009 Steelers offense, which was kind of Ben drops back. First read's not there. I'm going to tuck it, move around, try to make plays. It didn't work. That's how Ben got killed. And he took a lot of shots in this game on um, on Sunday. Hopefully they get back to the drawing board. Hopefully everything works out well in terms of the preparation this week and they're ready to go. So Lance, anything to add to that? And, and, and that's the difference, listeners. Execution and preparation. The preparation on the offensive side of football was shaky because they had no answers. And I'm trying to pull up the game book here. I can't find it. But I believe late in the game, it was something like punt, 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 fumble, fumble, punt, where they could not move the ball for almost two quarters, the fourth quarter and the fifth quarter in overtime and the offense just stagnated. But I think what is what we're seeing is that uh, they have an issue with the third wide receiver. A third wide receiver is going to have to emerge because they don't have one right now. I think that they trust Um, another hero that I was going to mention. And I wanted to pull out my notes here. Well, actually I'll save him to the joy and pain segment, but um, they need to find a third wide receiver, but it might not be a wide receiver. Maybe it's Vance McDonald, who's not on the injured list this week, who might potentially play this weekend. You know, maybe it's that where they can incorporate more to tight ends until that third wide receiver emerges. But right now they've got two wide receivers in Juju and AB right now. That third guy is not on the field. You're correct. It is not. And so let's go right into our true or false segment. Those that are just joining us, maybe for the first time, that have never heard this segment. Uh, what it is, is we have five statements. We then debate whether it's true or false. Sometimes we agree. Most of the time we disagree. And then you yourself, the listener, can feel free to go into the comment section and let us know what you think about these particular comments as well. These statements, as we call it. So here we go. Number one, speaking of third wide receivers, we'll jump right to this one. James Washington, the rookie from Oklahoma State, should be playing more than Justin Hunter. True or false? True. Justin Hunter looks like he's scared. I mean, I don't get. I mean, he just—he looks afraid. He looks like he runs the routes with no expectation to catch the football. He doesn't look like a decisive football player. And I'd rather go with the rookie. 
Justin Hunter is not in your long-term plans. Get the rookie snaps. At least we know with the rookie, he's going to compete, try to high point the football, and really compete and get after it because he's a rookie. He's a second-round draft pick. He He's really excited at this point in his career and playing the National Football League. You would think Justin Hunter would be because maybe this is his last stop. But Justin Hunter just does not look like an aggressive football player. So I would take away his reps and give them to the rookie. Granted that the rookie knows what he's going to do, but he should because with Justin Hunter, all they typically do is run nine routes or go routes anyway with Justin Hunter. So that's something that I think the rookie would be able to do. I agree. I think the statement's true. I think that James Washington, they have him on the Juju Smith-Schuster plan. If you go back to last year, um, Juju played a little bit in week one against the Browns, recorded zero catches with zero targets, and they kind of eased him into it. I would expect in week two, the J- if he, if he's healthy, that's a, that's a key there. If he's healthy, he had that oblique strain, that abdominal strain at the week four of the preseason. Those are not easy to get over. If he's 100% healthy and he has a helmet, get him on the field. If he's not healthy, keep him inactive. Give the helmet to someone else. But I agree, true. I think James Washington deserves to at least get a shot. He can't do any worse than what Justin Hunter is doing. Okay, next question. James Conner in his amazing performance uh, outside of the fumble in week one proved that he can be, quote-unquote, the man for the Steelers. True or false, Lance? False. And it's false primarily because of the fumble. Okay. You know, in that situation, I think nine out of 10 Steeler fans believe that Le'Veon Bell secures the football and they win the game. And if you're going to be the man that replaces the man, part of it is ball security. You've got to hold on to the football. And that's unfortunate for him because he played a fantastic game. But if you were to grade the game overall, You'd have to drop the grade because that fumble was game changing along with that penalty that was missed or, or, or the fumble that was missed on the kickoff when it hit off a of Chubb's face mask. That was a huge turning point in the game and it put it on the doorstep for the Browns to score in maybe 10 seconds on one play. So false. He, he did not prove anything. He proved that he had a good game against a bad football team in the Cleveland Browns and he proved that he could not secure the football in crunch time and in winning time. So it's absolutely false. He cannot replace Le'Veon Bell and be the man. Uh, okay. Let me think about this. I even thought of this statement. I, um, I'm going to say true, but it's not about James Conner to me. It's about the offensive line. Because the offensive line, and I guarantee you they had a chip on their shoulder going into Sunday, I guarantee they went out and said, we want to get this kid over 100. We want to get him in the end zone because we want to prove that Le'Veon Bell, at least in part, is a product of a system and a product of an offensive line that is pretty darn good. And they are pretty darn good. I think that behind that line, James Conner could do not everything, but most of the things that Le'Veon Bell does. Does he have ball security issues? I don't know. He fumbled once, so I guess right now we say no. I feel like that's a – or yes, that he does, but I feel like that's a little knee-jerk reaction. I, I don't know what his reputation with that was at Pitt and in college. If he had fumble problems, I don't follow college football really. But at the same time, I know that Le'Veon Bell had some fumbles last season, and some of them were very inopportune times. Now, 
prior to last season, Bell had never fumbled. That was his one of his biggest, best characteristics. But I'm going to say because of the offensive line, that that's true. I just believe that that offensive line was opening up holes that, heck, I think Stephen Ridley might have run through. So, yeah, James Connor to me, proved that he could be the man, but it's more of a byproduct of the offensive line. So a little caveat there. I'm sure you do you want to say anything about that, Lance? Well, to that point, the reason why I say false is because Le'Veon is probably a lot less dependent on superior offensive line play than James Conner. Like Connor, really? you know, Connor will have to have that line play really well for him to get all that he gets. Ah, I think Le'Ve, I think Le'Veon with Le'Veon in the offensive line, it's it, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. He gets stuff that they don't block. A lot of times there, there are a lot of times where it's not blocked at all. And he literally is waiting for a defender to get out of his run fit and can hit it. And, and, and that's something that James Conner can't do. Le'Veon's a special player. No, I'm, I'm not saying he isn't. I'm not saying he isn't. I am not one of those fans that says just because I'm pissed off that he's not here, I'm going to downgrade him in my mind that he's not the best, if not the best, one of the best running backs in the league. But I felt like last year, and you may disagree, I felt like last year the defense has kind of started to figure out Le'Veon Bell's style a little bit. The patience. It, it was so unique in 2014 and 2015. No one knew what to do. Because if you shot your gap right away, He's going to move, and he's got the where you just vacated. If you hesitated, he's going to choose right away, and he's gone. The backside approach in the exact same way that James Conner was fumbled, that seemed to pick up, get on Le'Veon Bell last year, and that also comes down to the offensive line with Alejandro Villanueva. Typically, it was his side that they would get around the edge, and that's exactly what happened on James Conner uh, on his fumble. Not saying that Le'Veon Bell can't be successful elsewhere, I am just pumping the brakes a little bit, thinking that he could go to somewhere like the New York Jets or um, anywhere. I mean, I'm thinking of some team that doesn't have a great offensive line, like Cleveland even. They don't have a great offensive line. Like You watched that game. You saw Carlos Hyde run the okay. Is Le'Veon Bell going to do much better than that behind that line, if that were do you think? Hmm, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I think he's better than Carlos Hyde, so my answer oh, would be no, yes. No crap, he's better than Carlos so, Hyde. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, All right. I told myself we weren't going to talk about Le'Veon Bell that much because I'm sick of talking about it. So let's move on. Um, here's a here's a good one for you, there, Lance. This is about your zero. Ben Roethlisberger is past his prime. Think about that. Ben Roethlisberger is past his prime. Not mean doesn't mean he's not good. He's past his prime. True or false? True. Absolutely true. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, what's the guy? Year 15? Yep. He better be past it. <laughs> he, Tom Brady's I mean, not past it. Oh, Tom's past his prime. He's just really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, he's past his prime. Tom Brady's Tom, better now than he was in 2001. But Tom's physical prime was years ago. He's just a better player. Well, I mean, prime, again, prime, physical prime, and your prime of playing like mental is catching up with physical is totally different to me. Well, yeah, he's past it. I mean, he, he's definitely past it. Um, um, ben is just what he is now. I'm not saying he's a game manager. I'm not saying he's a top. I might've said he wasn't a top 10 guy. Maybe I said he was 11. 
I think I said he was 11. Uh, so, yeah, he's a top 11 guy. I mean, he's still a guy that's dependent on his weapons around him. Let's just say this. Uh, what we saw against Cleveland looked like a guy beyond his prime, looked like a guy that was getting hit, that was slow to get out of the corner in a boxing match. Uh, but he's still good enough, I think, to get you to a Super Bowl and win you some games like we saw last year. So I think he's still he's still who he is. Past his prime, absolutely. True. Yeah, I mean, I, I think about, like I said, to me, uh, an athlete's prime, and this could be – you know, let's say you're you're coaching a high school team. You see this there. You see it in college, and you can see it if they in the professionals. It's when their physical prime and their mental prime mesh together. And this is when you know you think about look at Antonio Brown. Okay, so he gets drafted in the sixth round out of Central Michigan, and he's a return guy. Doesn't get many reps as a receiver his rookie year. Second year, he starts to it starts to show up. You know, now. By year three or four is when he really starts getting it. But he might not be as fast at that time than he was when he entered the league. Right. He might not be as explosive, but it's that point where that's the prime. And now those years can be, well, it depends on the position. It depends on the player. Like Tom Brady, some, it's going to be, it would be tough to me to disagree that Tom Brady's still not in his prime because he's that smart and he's taking care of his body. And he can still do almost everything. I would say he can do everything that he did five, ten years ago, and maybe even better. So Ben Roethlisberger, is he in his prime? No. False. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger's past his prime was a statement. My fault. Yeah, true. It's true. true. It's true. Yeah. Because I think Roethlisberger, although the mental aspect has gotten better, his physical attributes have gotten significantly worse. Um, what made him great, his escapability, his ability to extend the plays, um, that's not as good as it once was. The The difference between a player like Drew Brees and Tom Brady is that they were never reliant on those skills. They focused on their pocket presence, move around, manipulate it, and then drive the ball down the field. Roethlisberger can do that. His game has had to change, but no, I agree that Ben Roethlisberger is past his prime, but I also agree with what you said. He is good enough to win a Super Bowl still, so fans that are listening to this, don't freak out because he's still good enough in my opinion. All right. We're now people will freak out. I'm telling you, um, I'll start talking about your Ikea couch and stuff. So anyways, um, let's shift gears a little bit to the, uh, Kansas city. Sheet. Look at uh, okay. Look sorry. At that, that lack of, <laughs> lack of paint on your wall. <laughs> the Kansas city chiefs are coming up in week two. And we're going to start talking about that with our true and false statements. So you thought of this one lands. I thought it was good. And since you thought of the statement, I'm going to answer it first. And that is if Joe Hayden, who's dealing with a mild hamstring strain or a pull, whatever you want to call it, doesn't play, the Steelers will lose. True or false? I'll go ahead and say that I think that statement is false. I think the Steelers can win without Hayden. They're going to have to get pressure on Mahomes. And I think that uh, the Steelers have played well against Kansas City. I believe they've won the last three Yes. Times they've played them. The only loss they've had in the last five or six years was that Arrowhead. That's when Landry Jones was the quarterback. Right. Um, that was the game that I want to say Tom Ali had a strip sack of Landry Jones and they got the football. That's how they won. I think, I, I, I think West played really well. I think the running back West, Charkandris. Charkandris, I think you're right. Yeah. Like, so really went on that game too. That's the only time they've beaten them. Pittsburgh plays well at home. 
And I'm not going to get into my prediction because we're doing that later. But I'm going to say that Joe Hayden could sit this one out, and I think the Steelers could still win. Uh, so I'm going to say that if Hayden doesn't play, the Steelers will lose. That's false. What do you think? I hate to agree, but I think it's false as well. I did a little research on Kansas City, watched their game against the Chargers, watched some of their game film, and that's a bad defense. It's not the, it's not the Chiefs' defense of the past with Marcus Peters and, and Reed back there. Um, although he's he's still on the roster, he's coming off of an injury. I don't know if he's going to play Sunday, but that back end is bad, and the pass rush is not that good either. Um, San Diego dropped numerous touchdown passes and dropped maybe six to seven balls in that game. That would have made that game a lot different, and San Diego was able to move the ball pretty comfortably on the ground with Melvin Gordon. San Diego pretty much got everything that they want offensively. The problem was Kansas City has Tyreek Hill. <laughs> so, you know, that, you know, that was pretty much the difference in the game. I mean, he gives you a special teams touchdown on the first Kansas City play of the, of the year. He runs it back. He runs it back like 98 yards, wags his finger to the crowd, 7 nothing. I mean, so he was the difference in that ball game. But, yes, I think it's false. I think the way Kansas City plays defense, the Steelers will have an opportunity to score a lot of points. Okay, next one. If the Pittsburgh Steelers lose to the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday at Heinz Field at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it is time to panic. True or false? You thought of this one, Lance. I'm going to go first as well. I'm going to say false, that even if they were to lose and their record is 0-0-1, I still don't think it's time to panic as long as everyone is healthy. Now, if a key contributor goes down, that's a different story. But I'm looking at their schedule. In week three, they had Tampa Bay on Monday night. Then they come back to Pittsburgh against the Ravens on Sunday night. Then they have the Falcons at Heinz Field, Bengals, and then a bye. Even if they were to go 0-1-1, gosh, the friggin' tie, um, I still think they could be respectable by the time they hit the bye week. Um, I look at this season, and I always have, in quarters. So you have to finish each quarter strong. So their first four games, can they beat the Tampa Bay Bucks on the road? Yes. I know that the Buccaneers beat the Saints, and I know that Ryan Fitzpatrick looked great, but it's still Ryan Fitzpatrick. The cream will always rise to the top, and his crap will always stink, so he'll eventually suck. I'm going to guess this week he's going to suck. So don't put him in your fantasy lineup. And then the Ravens, yeah, they beat the Bills. The Bills look like a JV high school team, so I'm not really putting too much stock into that just yet. And the Falcons, I'm not buyers on them, nor am I buyers on the Bengals. I think they would be fine. They're a team that plays better as the season goes on. You don't want to start 0-1-1, but at the same time, if you do, I'm going to say it's not time to panic, so that's false. The fourth game is against the Ravens? Yes. I'm going to say true. Uh. It is time to panic, but not necessarily time to jump off the West End Bridge. (laughs) <laughs> but it's definitely time to panic because if you go 0-1-1, and right, and, you know, Baltimore and Cincinnati play this weekend, or excuse me, on Thursday. Yes, tomorrow night. And if Baltimore wins, they go up 2-0, and and Baltimore beats you in that first matchup, you could be chasing Baltimore for the entire season. And, and you don't want to be in that type of place early in the season. 
because right now, and we all know what it is about in Pittsburgh, it's about winning Super Bowls. And it is time to panic because if you don't put yourself in a position to have at least one home field game in the playoffs, potentially, hopefully two, there's no way you want to go to Foxborough and play a playoff game. So, yeah, this is a little time to panic, but not jump off the West End. I mean, they, they better get a win under their belt. You don't want to chase in a division for the whole year and, and be that team in a division that does not have a win because I do believe, and you can mark the tape, Cleveland's going to beat the Raiders this weekend. <laughs> Cleveland's going to beat the Raiders this weekend. So you don't want to be the team in a division with no wins, and you're chasing three teams in your division. So panic, yes. Jump off of bridge, no. To me, I wouldn't panic until the Steelers are more than two games behind the leader in the division. And that's not going to be Cleveland. And they haven't played any other division opponents. So even if they are two games behind Baltimore, as long as you still play Baltimore twice, you can still control your own destiny and, and take care of business in the division. And that's what I wrote an article when I did the AFC North roundup where we talk about how everyone else finished. It's The division is your number one priority. So if, if coaches are setting goals, when the division is number one, it's not the most important, but it's your first stepping stone. Then it's get a buy, then try to secure home field advantage throughout, and then it's obviously playoffs and Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. So they just got to take care of their business in the division. I personally could give a crap if they're nine and seven, win the division, host a playoff game, and then have to go on the road because they're a team that, like I said, up until last year had progressively gotten better as the year has gone on. Last year, they still did that just fell apart in the playoffs. So we'll see. I agree with you, though. You do not want to go 0-1-1. I think the Steelers are going to be ultra-motivated for this game. This is a good way to segue into our breakdown for the game. Lance, I'm with you. I watched a lot of the Chargers and Chiefs, and I am not impressed with the Kansas City defense. Uh, they're not the same. You know, There's no Tomba Ali anymore. Is Justin Houston still on the team? Oh, he should be. I think so. Uh, I who, was the middle, I, who was the middle linebacker that used to just be great and he's uh, not he's not playing anymore? Uh, I, I that, don't know. Uh, I know D Ford is there. Um, yeah. but I know you're gone talking is about. gone is Marcus Peters. Eric Berry uh, it did not practice today. Andy Reid told reporters that he is not gonna rush him back. That, that, that he's talking about an Achilles area. You're not rushing that guy back, not in week two. Um I I don't if he doesn't play. They don't have many many names on that defense. Don't have anybody in the back no, end? No one. No one. Not the Steelers should be able to pick their poison with this, uh, you know, with this defense. And I, I am kind of worried about David DeCastro, who broke his hand in Week One. It's a little bit worse than they thought. He didn't practice today. His swelling hasn't gone down. He can't be fitted into like a soft cast or a brace until that happens. So then if that doesn't happen, he might not play. Now Finney would fill in, but he's not David DeCastro. David DeCastro is an all pro defensively. You just got to get pressure on Mahomes. We talked about this off air. You were sending me screenshots. The Steelers are going to run a lot of zone. I think in this game, just to protect themselves and to try to confuse the young quarterback. Here's the deal. And I was, it's funny. I was cutting grass today. And so I've got my headphones on, I'm listening to music. And as I'm mindlessly walking and cutting grass, I'm thinking to myself about how so many Steeler fans, all they do is say, 
They need to run man. They need to run man. Need more man, 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 man. Well, first and foremost, it's not that Steelers don't run man. They do, but they have other options. They're a zone-based team. And I kept on thinking, there's only one team that people have a problem that they don't run man against, and that's New England. Yeah. They just that's it. That's it. It's just New England. Yeah. So for me, I was like, well, they can run zone against Patrick Mahomes. He might make a few mistakes, and it might be a better way to keep Tyreek Hill in front of you because that's what you, you want to do. You have, you to, have so. to. I actually like the Steelers in this matchup on both sides. It's going to be a challenge on defense. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but I like the Steelers on both sides. And what do you see? Because I know you watched a lot more film than I did. I mean, when you look at the Chiefs, I mean, the first thing is you have a ton of playmakers. I mean, you have Sammy Watkins, you have Hill, you have Kelsey, and you have Hunt. I mean, that's four really good playmakers on that offense. And, and what's different this year is you have a rookie that has the arm strength to throw it anywhere and challenge you on any part of the field, which is a little bit different than they had with Alex Smith, although Alex Smith last year did throw the ball downfield. But, but I think you're right. I mean, you have to play zone. I looked at last year's game, and the Steelers play a lot of cover two, a lot of cover three. Uh, they played some cover eight, uh, but they had they had eyes on the football. They had eleven eyes, eleven pairs of eyes on the football at all times, and they rallied and made tackles. And they're going to have to do the same. They're going to have to have eyes on the football when they rush Mahomes. They'll have to be more disciplined than they did against Tyrod Taylor because of his mobility. He doesn't run it as good as Tyrod Taylor, but he is mobile, and they do use him as an option threat in the red zone. And and by playing zone, you keep all of Kansas City's misdirection stuff in front of you so you can see it and you're not fooled by it. Uh, the other thing is you just got to confuse the looks for Mahomes. You've got to disguise. It's really a game where you, if you can disguise well, you can take advantage of a guy like that because he's a rookie with a strong arm, which means he can get confused and try to outthrow his confusion. To where if he's confused, he's just like, screw it. My arm is good enough. I can throw through his coverage anyway and beat it, although I got mentally fooled. The other thing I think in this game, rookie quarterback on the road again, you have to eliminate the big play. You have to make him sustain drives where they have to score seven, you know, maybe eight, nine, 10, 11 play drives where he has to convert multiple third downs, has to make throws and tight throws in the tight windows in congested areas in the red zone of the field. You have to make it hard on him. Um, lastly, no special teams returns. I mean, you know, you got Tariq Hill in the game. You're going to have to really directional punt. You're going to have to force him to the direction that you punt, and you're going to have to tackle. In the game against the Chargers, they directional punt it to the left side of the field, he broke contain and took it all the way around. Uh, it would have been his left side for like a 95-yard touchdown. So those are the key elements. You got to get pressure. And I think you got to get pressure with four so you can drop as many people and flood the zones, confuse the looks, make the young quarterback drive the long field so Reed is going to have to punt well, and they can't give up any special teams plays. No, you're right. I, I want to mention that it feels like Mahomes is a rookie, but he's not. He's actually a second-year player. He just didn't play last year behind Alex Smith. So I did want to make that correction. He is not a rookie. He's a first-time starter. Yes, first-time so, starter. 
but I agree. You know, you limit the splash plays, and the Steelers, I think, should be fine. So let's go with predictions, Lance. What's your score prediction for the game? I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, particularly if Joe Hayden does not play because they're going to target Cam Sutton just like Cleveland did, uh, you know, when when, uh, when he went out the game. Uh, but I think the Steelers will be able to move the football against this team. Pass rush was limited. Back end was bad. I like this game to be 35-24 Steelers. Okay. I think it's a high-scoring game. Steelers' offense looks good. Um, we talked about Le'Veon a little bit during this show. One thing Le'Veon Bell did really well, he ran the ball really well against Kansas City. Yeah. I think he had over 140 yards rushing at least three straight games. Um, I think the Steelers feel comfortable running against their front, and I, I think they'll see a lot of areas to attack. Keep it in front, tackle, limit Tariq Hill. They come out with a win, 35-24. Yeah, I'm pretty close with your prediction. I did a radio spot on SB Nation Radio this morning, and they asked me for a prediction. I said 31-27 Pittsburgh wins. I think it's going to be close. I think Pittsburgh um, might even jump out to an early lead, but I think Kansas City claws their way back in. I just think this first game at home, Roethlisberger plays so much better at home than on the road. Uh, Young quarterback, I like the way the Steelers' defense is trending. We'll see if that continues. Should be a good game. All right, the last segment here before we call it quits for the night. Uh, your favorite, Joy and Pain. Lance, it's where you, Debbie Downer, have to say something nice about the Steelers, which is very difficult for you. Uh, he probably has a flask hidden somewhere before this segment <laughs> um, to get himself all liquored up. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to be angry first? No, I'm going to go first with the joy and go ahead. answer this real quick for me because, you know, we do true and false listeners. Let me ask answer this true and false in, in 30 seconds or less because you just mentioned Ben Roethlisberger playing really well at home. Yes. Does Ben Roethlisberger have a road problem? Yes. Okay. I agree. Okay. I agree. I think it's true. <laughs> so for my joy segment, Switzer. Switzer looked great. Yeah. The new guy, his feet are so quick. He His change of direction, his change of speed. He looks like a keeper. He looks like he's going to pop one soon. I, I was excited every time he had the ball in a return game because he was getting stuff. I was like, uh-oh. I think we, I think we found it. I think we found the answer there in a the return game. Connor, of course, that's pure joy. It's just so unfortunate that he fumbled late in the game, and that's part of it because you're absolutely right. It would have been a movie, man. It would have been a Sunday night movie, the James <laughs> Conner story, and it would have ended with him jumping into his offensive lineman's uh -huh. arms, and it would have ended. Yeah. They wouldn't have showed his pineapple haircut, whatever that was, uh, but that's how it would have ended. But unfortunately, he put the ball on the ground. But I think he showed himself well that he is a he is a qualified uh competent NFL uh court, excuse me running back and his story coming back from cancer you know cuz i'm sure we all know somebody in our family who's had cancer and for that young man to come back and play you know that's just absolutely joyous um the third thing and the last thing is pressure the steelers looks like maybe uh 2017 went into 2018 seven sacks to start um, you know, this team looks like 
they're generating some pressure. Like that's, you know, like they're starting to get after the quarterback. So those are my three things that bring me joy when I think about the Steelers. Switzer, Connor, and their ability to get after the quarterback. Ryan Switzer, the pride of Charleston, West Virginia. And as a West Virginia boy myself, kind of proud of that. It's He's a little water bug, man. When he gets that football in his hand, he's squirting around all over the place. He's good. I like him. I like that kid out of college. When we were running our pre-draft stuff before the 2017 draft, I really liked him. Uh, but I knew they wouldn't take him because there was no spot for him with Eli Rogers as a slot receiver. But I'm glad he found his way to the black and gold. Okay, Payne, I'm only going to talk about two things. And the first is someone, I feel like I might have said this last week. I don't know. Jordan Berry sucks. I'm really <laughs> sick and tired of this guy. I mean, I gave him a pass the last few years because he would occasionally have the big kick, the one that was a 60-yarder that really changed the field. You know why Nicholas Chubb got hit in the face with a face yes. mask? Because Jordan yes. Berry sucks. And yes. I, I just don't. I mean, to me, I look at it this way. When the Steelers, when Sean Sweesham got injured before in the Hall of Fame game, and then they went through that slew of kickers, you know, we had the um, Josh Scobie experiment and the the Hartley experiment, Garrett Hartley experiment, and then, and then they finally ended up with their current kicker and Chris Boswell. You're telling me that there's not someone out there that kicked in college that can do what he's doing or better, or there's someone that got cut? They can't do it better. I don't get it. Uh, Jordan Berry, I mean, I let me, just, let me put it this way because I don't want to act like I'm the coach making the decisions. When Mike Tomlin publicly starts a, pre, a post-game press conference with our punting was poor in a preseason game, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's horrible. It's really bad, and it's going to come back to bite him sooner or later. Quote me unless they make a move or unless he starts getting better. Um, the second thing is, and I was talking to you about this, Lance, before we went on the air, and that is, I really hope the drama just stops. I, I hope that the media, and that includes us, just stop talking about Le'Veon Bell because he's not going to show up anytime soon. Uh, we shouldn't hope to see him anytime soon. Not that we don't want to see him anytime soon. We shouldn't hope to see him anytime soon. Antonio Brown, don't go out and threaten reporters who are doing an, a story on how off the field you're a giant turd and what you're putting on Instagram <laughs> is nothing but a, a facade. Don't threaten a reporter. Don't force Art Rooney II and yourself to release a public apology via the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Don't be a turd. Be appreciative of what you have. That's it. That's my only pain for the week. It's it's just that two, those two things. Jordan Berry sucks and Antonio Brown don't be a jerk off the field. That's it. Well, you know, can I add some pain too? <laughs> well, that's what you do yeah, on the you, whole show. You know, you know I love to add pain. <laughs> you know I love sure, to add sure. pain. Yes, yeah. This is painful. And I, I I thought I got it right off the top of my head when we were talking about the drive chart for the Steelers. How about this? Punt, punt, fumble, fumble, punt, 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 miss field goal, fumble. Yes, just like you drew it up. <laughs> That's painful. <laughs> Against the Browns, that that's painful. Yeah, because and, and that series started after two consecutive touchdowns. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. They went touchdown, interception, interception, 
touchdown, touchdown, than what I read to you. They punted the ball in that game one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Seven of their 19 drives resulted in a punt. If you add the turnovers, one to the, the six turnovers, 13 of the 19 drives were punts or turnovers. That's painful. That that's that's about as painful as it gets. Yeah, I mean it was awful, and it was all the passing game because they ran the ball well. I thought they ran the ball really well, especially in the first three quarters, and then the fourth quarter when Cleveland was loading the box, they couldn't throw their way out of a, pa- a wet paper bag. So there you have that. Um, Lance, anything to add before we call it a night? No, I just wanted to just get everybody down and upset before we leave the program with that. That's what you do best. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) hey, I I want people to jump off bridges. (laughs) That's that's kind of disturbing. I'll say this. (laughs) (laughs) I I said it last week. It's coming up. I believe the announcement is going to be made next week that we are this show – a preview show I'm doing with Brian Anthony Davis, which will be tomorrow night. It'll be here on YouTube. You can check that out as well. The post-game show and two other shows are going to be starting a new podcasting forum format platform with SB Nation Radio. It's something I'm really excited about. And so if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you check us out. You can follow us on a bunch of different platforms. And we'll still have our stuff here on YouTube. Um, if you're following us on iTunes, don't worry. We'll get you access to that. There'll be an announcement. I know Lance excited. I'm excited. You should be excited. The quality will be good. Um, the frequency will be great and you'll get nothing but Steelers content. Now, other, other than that, make sure you're continuing to check out behind the steel for all your Pittsburgh Steelers. needs. we're averaging like 10 stories a day, folks. I mean, you name it, we've got it. And if you haven't followed us on YouTube, find us there. Search BTSC Steelers Radio. Subscribe, thumbs up, comment. We appreciate all the feedback, even when some guy goes after Lance and his IKEA couch uh, there over on the West Coast. So, uh, yeah, my couch is not from <laughs> IKEA. It's probably from Macy's or something. Value Macy's City. Furniture. Value City. No, you probably got but it. it at, you probably got it at Hills. It's not Ikea. But actually, Jeff, before I go, you know you said something that's a local reference that I don't think people in the West Coast know about. They don't know about water bugs. They don't know about water bugs? bugs. That's an East Coast thing. They don't know about water bugs. That's an East Coast thing. That's definitely an East Coast thing. I've never heard anybody in the West Coast talk about water bugs. Same thing with fireflies. They don't have fireflies out here. Really? No, they don't. No fireflies or gnats. They don't have gnats either. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. But my, I grew up. My dad would be watching football, like Randall L. Like when Randall L. When Antoine Randall was drafted by the Steelers, my dad just called him a water bug. Look at that little water bug go. Look at. (laughs) They don't even know water bugs out here. They're like, what's a water bug? What are these guys talking about? We're showing our regionalism, Jeff. There you go. Absolutely. I'm still on the East Coast. So, yeah. But, Lance, thank you for your time, listeners. Thanks for listening. Hey, enjoy the game on Sunday. Make sure you check us out tomorrow night for the preview show for the Kansas City Chiefs. Bye. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, Seems smart at the time. Those things might include 
doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Smart.